I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. The Enneagram is a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram's a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram Ninja. Hello. My man. Good morning. We are talking about, that's right, we don't normally record in the morning, <laughs> but we're talking about leadership. It's time to get up. Yeah, for... we got to start. Start early, right? That's what the good that's leaders what, do. That's what <laughs> I've heard tell. Uh, and, we, and we have a guest today. Hooray. Dr. John Singletary is with us, who is Dean of the Diana R. Garland School of Social Work at Baylor University. And this is going to be a good conversation. Well, so, we'll see. welcome, John. Thank you. I got up early. I don't know what you guys were doing all morning, but I'm on my third cup of coffee. <laughs> I'm on my Zach, third too, but I have not been up as long as you. I can almost guarantee that. It's TJ. I actually also wake up at like four or five in the morning and say, go to work. But TJ is a coffee shop owner, so. Oh, that's a whole part, different story then. Yep. Yep. It's uh, required to be a night person, apparently. John just put out a book. Uh, his book is called Leadership by the number. It's a book on leadership in the Enneagram. And so we're going to talk a lot about Enneagram, but TJ and I don't get a chance to talk leadership very often. And so this is going to be some fun new territory for us to, to converse about. So um, to get us rolling, John, when thinking about leadership, what are, what are kind of the, what are the first things that come to mind? What's the basics on, on the topic itself? The first thing that comes to, to mind for me is, is not what most people, I think, assume leadership to be. And I'm always saying this to my students. People assume leadership are the, are the big choices we make. Who am I going to hire? How much money do I spend? How do I spend it? What am I responsible for? It's the things that scare people about leadership and their organization, all the responsibilities that come with, with leadership. But I mean, what I'm trying to argue here and what I firmly believe is leadership is from the inside out. So it's really about who we are, which makes the Enneagram such a great tool for leadership. Because, of course, yeah. it, it's all about inviting us to be introspective and self-reflective. And that's what good leadership is, is knowing who you are as you interact with others, as you lead others, as you develop whatever vision or strategy or plan for your work. I think it has to be rooted in that sense of self. Yeah. Yeah, there's a really big difference between being the person who makes the big decisions and being someone who actually leads people. Absolutely. That's yeah. right. That's right. And you can do both. But but I think leadership requires this not only sense of self, but a willingness to see others for who they are as well. I mean, I we'll talk some about that today for sure. But but wanting to be as tuned in to to who others are and what makes them tick and seeing people deeply, uh, I, I think really makes for quality leadership as well. Yeah. In our culture, oftentimes, I think when the term leadership comes up, we immediately think of like a manager overseeing a hired hand. But I imagine that's probably not what goes through your mind when thinking about leadership. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to avoid that. People people see it both for, for the, the responsibility or the respect that comes with what leadership is. But I often think about I mean, part of this is from a social work perspective, my professional background, it's it's meeting clients where they are, it's meeting community members where they are, it's it's that work of empowerment. So so I I, I never want our social workers to think they're leading communicator, leading community members by doing things for them or on their behalf. Mm -hmm. It's coming alongside people, it's learning from the people you're serving. It's leadership with, not for. Uh it, and then I do work in churches and church-related agencies as well. And, and that's is true there. It's it's not about the pastor being in charge. It's about that team of leaders really being with the people in, in the pews. 
but but it is too easy to to forget that. Um, and and I think people, either because of bad experiences they've had or just the anxiety of that, they're not sure they want to lead. So a, a lot of our students are passionate about things, but because leadership overwhelms them, or they've seen it done poorly, or they worry about the responsibility, they they say they don't want it, or they they try to avoid it on the one hand, but they do want it. They just want a different kind of leadership. They want humble leadership. They want mm -hmm. respectful leadership, leadership that nurtures and cares. And I think I think that's what also what the Enneagram can point us to. Yeah. TJ, you're a leader of folks. When you, in your experience of leadership, you obviously are a business owner with a handful of employees. There is that being in charge side of things, but what goes through your mind on the on the other fronts, the relational fronts of leadership? Uh, I mean, a lot. I I agree wholeheartedly with a lot of what John's saying, and and a lot of the things that he's putting forward in this book, and uh, the there's this, the, the adage of like, teach a man to give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, teach a man to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. And, and so there's the element of like, I want to empower people to be able to make their own decisions and, and to navigate these spaces in appropriate ways. And I, I, I look for the type of people that can make those decisions, uh, when called upon and, and really, uh, over the last several years, uh, particularly since hiring a manager to sort of be in charge of day-to-day -day stuff um, while I'm at home with a toddler, one of the big things that I really stress with all of my team is that is that my job, our job, me and the manager, our job is to make sure that these people are set up for success. Our job is not to tell them what to do. It's to create the space to where they know what to do when they need to do it and, and they feel empowered to make decisions and to to feel like this space is theirs and that they can they can operate the way they need to and and a big part of that is knowing like like who who is going to be good in what spaces and and who is going to be able to make certain decisions and who shouldn't be making those decisions and and all of that and and yeah there is a lot of element of of knowing my people and investing in them and and making sure that they feel like they are part of the whole thing as opposed to just doing what I tell them. I imagine this is going to be a, part, a huge part of our conversation today, but in setting people up for success, the definition of success may really vary between each of the types. Right. And as you were talking, you were talking about spaces. And, of course, that's going to be a huge part for nines. And John, being an Enneagram 3, which we haven't mentioned yet, is going to be a master on uh, discussions of success, I imagine, we'll bring in that element. But that's what goes through my mind, is uh, there's going to be the communal success. What does it look like for us to be successful? And then there's the, what's it look like for the individual to experience fulfillment and flourishing, you know, in, 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 in that shared environment where in which they're either being led or being a leader. Um, the thing to throw this your way, John, the thing that hit me as I was reading was l the picture of leadership was less about that manager subordinate as it were. And what kept coming to my mind was more parenting, um, of understanding that I'm leading, you know, my child or, or my children from here to there. And, and part of that process is a, you know, is a leadership process is uh, aside from you know having staff uh any other spheres parenting work environments any other spheres that leadership in your mind really applies to certain those sorts of relationships yeah i i, I believe leadership is an opportunity we have everywhere we are so so absolutely i believe as a parent we are leading our children into a desired future mutually with our, our partners and, and spouses, we're, we're co-leading each other and our families. But at the same time, I, I, I want our children not to just be followers of me and my, my wife's and my leadership, but I want them to be leaders. And even at young ages, they might not know what that means. They might not think of it as their own leadership philosophy, but they influence their peers. Peer pressure is kids looking to each other to see what mm. they want to be like and do. And all of that is leadership. 
So I, th I think we're always nurturing them by leading them, but nurturing them to lead as well. So I feel like all people have leadership opportunities almost all the time. We are communal people. We are always moving and shaping and surrounded by by people, even the most introverted of us. And how we do that matters because that is our, our leadership. So a lot of social workers, a lot of our students come in and they want to be clinicians. They want to be therapists. And so they say, I'm not a leader. I'm a therapist. Well, well no, in your work with clients, you are leading. And in, in mm. the practice you offer, how you envision who you want to serve, you're saying something to the community about the kind of practice you offer. And, and all of that, I believe, is leadership. Yeah. Everyone has and, is invited to lead. Yeah. And like anyone who comes to another person for guidance, they're looking for leadership. Like that's that's what that's part of what leadership is, is guidance. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Of all things, I heard something just this morning, didn't put it together, but it was on depression levels in Gen Z and that a lot of it is materializing because of the feedback chains they get through social media. And framing that as as leadership, that the whole society is saying this is who you are and how we value you, it, it, it's not a good tool for, for getting that feedback. Um, on the opposite side, and you'll love this, the uh, group in America that reports the lowest amount of depression are the Amish uh, collectively. And so uh, John being a former Mennonite, yeah. Pastor, I thought that that would, that would be <laughs> encouraging at least. Yeah. I assume that personal, less technology I hear with the Amish uh, <laughs> might, might, might be part of the reason there. That's right. and, and ours was an urban Mennonite community, but still right. we were a pretty low-tech community. Mm -hmm. And I think that did nurture relationships. It helped us see each other. And that is something that is hard, I think, for our children who might be younger than whatever the next generation is beyond Gen Z, but so many of our students now Gen Z, I don't know the generational year categories these days, but thinking when we ran out of letters too. Yeah, that, that's exactly <laughs> right. We, we go back to generation AA. Right. Generation that's, that's, that's a bad, uh, what, uh, what is yeah, it? that was that's bad planning, bad predict. leadership on the, uh, yeah, we, naming of the generation. Yeah, did we start with X? I mean, I'm a Gen Xer. I never heard of a letter assigned to generation before my own, but maybe that's my own self-centeredness as a true Gen Xer <laughs> <laughs> and an Enneagram three. Right. <laughs> but I do think this, this generation that is my, my, our own young adults and teenagers and the influence of social media, who they look for and the kind of leadership they're looking for is it's it's bite size. It's it's a it's a real. It's a post. It's an image that that they follow, and and that doesn't invite much self reflection. And and I kind of feel that way sometimes about enneagram memes. You mm. know, the shallowest invitation to enneagram work uh, through through a lot of those. And and that's not the kind of leadership that we need. It is relational, and and more high touch. And I and I'm a big social media fan, but I don't think it's the the answer to our leadership struggle. And it certainly contributes to our mental health struggles. Yeah. Last question on this for me, it ends up being in, in both of our fields, John, the movement from modernity into post-modernity, I imagine is all over your, your work as well. The move from more of a communal understanding of, of truth and society to a more individual self-aware understanding and the differences between how I come to the world and how others come to the world. This is one of the things that really appeals to me about Enneagram is it gives language for talking about that. But as you were, as you were talking just there, that, that has consistently been something I've wanted to put language to that as we, as, as culture proceeds and moves, the needs of the individual or perhaps the self-awareness of the individual as an individual, I assume, really affects the rest of society. Yeah. There were a society made up of individuals as opposed to, I'm, I'm thinking of like the 1940s generation. I don't think they would have seen themselves that way. It's like, no, we are Americans, you know, and right. and this is the project that we're on. Whereas today, it, it feels like things have become hyper individualized. I don't know if you have, if, if there's a question there, but do you have any thoughts on that? Well, we're, we're definitely hyper individualized and uh, 
I don't think some understanding of truth as relative is a is a bad thing. I think uh, I think who owns truth and the fact that certain institutions took the claim that truth was theirs to to offer was a part of the problem of modernity. So uh, a multi-centered postmodern worldview is something I I value. But that's not the same. I think that the downside of that or the risk of of postmodernity is that all truth is so relative that it becomes, what's the word, solipsistic, that it's only individual truth. Mm -hmm. I still think truth should be communal and local, but when it becomes so individualized that it's my own, I don't have to listen to you. I'm going to, I'm going to only listen to these voices or, or believe this is, is ultimate. That's kind of a, a radical individualist perspective. And you know, one of the things that I think is always interesting about Enneagram, this might be shifting away from this, is people often assume, well, if you're, if you're paying that much attention to yourself, isn't that self-centered or self-absorbed? And I tell people, no, it's just it's just the opposite, that we're self-centered when we don't see how our self gets in the way. Mm-hmm. That's selfish. Yep. To, to be keenly self-aware makes us less self-centered and self-absorbed. It's just noticing how our ego drives us in hopes that we can be more communal, communally centered and sh- have shared understandings of our values and our truths and what is most important. And even like returning to that idea of the uh, the Enneagram memes, the mimetic sort of uh, temptation toward the, the superficial level is is it's just excuse for bad behavior so I can continue doing whatever I want as opposed to uh, working on myself so that I don't, so that I, I become the best version of myself in order to serve my community better and interact with my family and, and lead my teams and whatever else. Yeah. Avoiding the traps of personality. Yeah. Not not giving into them. Yeah. All things in prep. Um, I went back and reread one of my favorite leadership books i really get into like uh sports ball leadership books but i read phil jackson's 11 rings books again one of the first things he said and it seemed to me to line up perfectly with uh, what you were saying it was self-understanding in terms of being part of a team is absolutely necessary you need to understand who you are and then what is it what's what's my best contribution to everyone else there i, I love the idea of Enneagram as a lens into here's where your superpowers are, the things that you do better than anyone else, the thing that you really bring to relationships. And if you have self-understanding, then that can overflow into into the places that you're investing all your best energies in the rest. And coupled with that, the fact that it invites you to see the other side of the coin. Yeah. Uh, some of our students avoid the Enneagram because they feel it's negative. They want to they want to use strengths finder as their tool. Uh, which is a great tool. It's a great personality tool. Right. And, and the new version of Strengths Finder will give you your top five strengths and your bottom five strengths. I'm like, aha, right. finally, Clifton figured out that both sides yeah. matter. Right. And that's what Enneagram, I think, does best and what sets it apart. Yeah. Is celebrate your superpower, but don't get self-absorbed that it's the only power that matters. Right. Or right. that it's the right power in every situation. That's denial of the balance that stance work invites that the Enneagram really invites with the, it takes all three centers of intelligence to be our best self, our whole self. Right. And our superpower maybe elevates one of the centers. We're not going to get a chance to dive into a lot of that, but for those interested, a lot of John's book goes down those paths, really worthwhile stuff here in terms of stance work in terms of um, identifying and practices for elevating repress your repress center, or the places where your type naturally struggles. Lots of really great um, stuff in John's book uh, if, if you want to get deeper into that material. Um, also, just another plug that we we're, we're probably won't get a chance to talk about, for those of you who haven't done like a lot of depthy work on secondary centers, presently I think John's book has the best material on that that's in print. I can't really think of a lot of folks who have gone as in-depth into secondary centers in print as your book does. And I was really appreciative of showing, you know, all of us have a primary center 
eights, nines, ones are the body, five, six, sevens are the head, two, threes, fours are the hearts, but each of us have a secondary center, a support center. And John's book talks about how we end up um, really leaning in, into that really worthwhile stuff. Um, so for, for what that's worth. Thank you. That was fun to work on. Jumping in to leadership and Enneagram, there is a point when leading other people where we are trying to, in order to meet them, in order to be good leaders, we might be inviting them to identify their own Enneagram type, or we might be guessing. And TJ and I have routinely said that it's probably a bad idea for us um, to, to guess somebody else's Enneagram type. But part of caring for people is meeting them where they're at, seeking to elevate, you know, uh, perhaps in our vocabulary, things that they may care about so that we have connection. Um, do you have wisdom for coming? Say it's a, the case that, you know, I you know, oversee, say, 15 people in an organization. You know, what, what would be your approach, John, to, to just that situation of, of meeting people where they're at? Yeah, great question to, to wrestle with because I, I'm not a fan of imposing the Enneagram on, on my team. Right. Uh, I often say I'm not an Enneagram evangelist. You know, I don't <laughs> I don't want to force religion on people and I don't want to force the Enneagram on, on people. Uh, if people are interested in it, then I, I love to talk about it. If people ask questions about how to best lead or how to be self-reflective, here's here's a tool for you. Now, it's so much a part of our culture here here in our university and in our and our, our school that it's kind of hard to avoid it. So it, it's kind of in the, the air, in the water. But but if you have it a team and it's not necessarily that way, I think inviting people to to use a tool like the game is is fine. And so asking people, you know, we're we're trying to be self-reflective here. Here's a particular tool we use. Let's see what you think about it. But I wouldn't do it by, I mean, I'm I'm with you. I wouldn't do it by offering someone what I think their number is, because I think that short circuits the invitation to introspection and self-awareness. Mm-hmm. If I'm told something, I don't have to be self-aware of it. I don't have to explore what that is for me. You've just told me enough. So fine. If you think I'm a three, uh, sure, I'll go I'll, I'll I'll go along with that. I'm a three, whatever that means. Tell me what that means. And, and then they're not doing any any work. So I think if if you can, I mean, uh, uh, the, the way I've tried to invite people to become any curious is by sharing what it means to me. So So as a leader, I really think this is important. As a leader, I really wrestle with this. A part of that's tied to my personality, I'll say. So so as of three, uh, one of the things I often wrestle with is getting so far ahead of my team that we're no longer on the same page or we're no longer doing the same thing. So I've got to make sure I allow time to to go slow, to really connect. And, and as a three, that's not always easy for me. So I think being vulnerable that way, it, it's both invite some authenticity, some self-reflection, some vulnerability that I think we want in our leaders. And I, I think my team values that in me when when I'm being that way genuinely. And then maybe if they see me saying something about myself and my number, then then they'll be curious about their own self, their own personality, their own number. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, then I'll share a workshop, pass on a test, whatever it takes to kind of get them hooked. But I really do try to avoid the imp- imposing a number. Agreed. One one of the things I'll sometimes do is begin the conversation with either triads or, or the centers. So, so I'll just talk to people about, you know, we all have these three dimensions of who we are. Mm-hmm. Which one of these do you think shapes, shapes your leadership, shapes your work the most? Uh, and so if pe- people can sometimes start there, that's a little more tangible than an abstract number. Right. Yeah, uh, Su- Suzanne Stabile is a big proponent of like you. You can talk about the enneagram without using the word enneagram. Right. And yeah, as as a manager, there's a lot of work that I do that has that I am not saying the things, any of the buzzwords, or, or using any of the terminology, but I'm still talking about the enneagram with my people. And yeah, that's right. Clearly, she taught me that as my mentor. That's something I definitely picked up from her. Yeah, good. And I think it matters. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because our team does feel like sometimes we impose it on them. It's so much a part mm-hmm. of the culture here that it's like, oh, here he comes again. Here they come again. Yep. That crazy symbol and all the hoopla that goes with it. So I try to back yeah. off of that and, and make it less about 
this book they need to read or this test they need to take or this this abstract conversation and, and more about, well, here's who I am. Here's what I'm trying to be. Mm-hmm. Here's how I'm trying to live and lead. Here's how I'm trying to care for people. And all of that's rooted in Enneagram work. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, how can we interact better? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I want to connect with you. I want to support you. I want you to thrive. Mm-hmm. Here's some things I think we have in common. Here's some things that are probably different. Right. I see differences as we work together. And and people pick up on those easily. I'm not a detail yeah. person. And so many of my people are. Sure. And they're, they're never surprised when I say something about, oh, I didn't catch that detail or I missed that number or I missed that invitation or that message or that important fact. They're like, yes, you did. I'm like, well, you know, I've told you before. I'm trying to work on it. I'm sorry I missed it again. Thank you for being a detail person. Right. And then they're like, oh, we do have these differences. Mm-hmm. We're not all the same. Yeah. They are different in important ways. As y'all are talking, the thing that's going through my head is there's the leadership one-on-one that occurs, which might be very type-specific. And then there's the broader, I have 12 people in a room. How do you think through that? And I suppose in my experience, like teachers can be this way, uh, leaders can be this way, of being able to look at the room and say, you know, a third of these people are going to really struggle with shame and the desire for attention. And a third of these people are probably going to struggle with fear and the desire for safety. And a third of these people are really going to have control issues and struggle with anger and having that over those, those over, overriding themes of how am I meeting all, all the people as I'm presenting can be incredibly valuable. I suppose that's on the center side of bringing in the world. We're going to be talking about stance and how everyone's engaging the world. And um, again, this is where John's book is really great on this. John thinks about Enneagram in a real similar fashion to the way TJ and I do. We, we're, we're, it's a very systematic book, which, mm-hmm. which isn't very common. And it's something that just deeply one that I am, I just really appeals to my heart. I'm like, Oh, here it is. The whole system is just laid out. So second tier book, uh, this, uh, this is a good middle, you know, not too advanced, very much getting into the, the guts of the Enneagram kind of study, but especially on these fronts, uh, great resource. Um, today, what we're going to talk about, this is around the circle, pick a topic and we go around the circle today. We're talking about what we should think about when we are working with other types what these other types may need from us if we're seeking to lead them. But this also is going to just apply to relationships across the board, it seemed to me. And uh, I'm I'm really excited for this conversation. So we're going to start with aggressive types, assertive types, as John calls them. Um, You're the second three, by the way, on our show to say, "Eh, let's let's move off aggressive. I think assertive is the better way to uh, communicate myself. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's interesting. You know, I, I, I don't mind. I mean, I, I often say that I am aggressive. So for me, it's not about avoiding that honesty about myself. It really came from students, particularly students of color, mm. uh, you know, to, to have colleagues of color who are often just sadly described as aggressive by white colleagues who don't want to be threatened sure. by people of color to tell a black woman, you're an aggressive type, does not work well for me or for her. So assertive, I think, works better culturally. Individually, people may see themselves as aggressive, but but it it became, you know, part of our racial reckoning we're doing as a nation, I think, is is making sense of, you know, some of these things Enneagram-wise as well. So that's a little bit of an aside, but that was really important for, for me in my own learning. Yeah, that's an element that I have never thought of before of the, of calling people of color aggressive. Yeah. And yeah. And interestingly, this all has to do with how our behavior affects other people and being right, unaware exactly. of that. Right. Yeah. Right. That is a, that is that's excellent. That's wisdom. I would love to start with threes. Uh, in the book, John, you write that if you are leading with a three support their relationships they invest in at work. Don't call them out for not being genuine. They likely know this is the case. And don't be patronizing in your recognition of their personal connections. Offer praise for their work, for what they accomplish, and offer praise for the way they support colleagues and seek to connect. Support their feeling efforts as well as where they excel in thinking and doing. And this will encourage them to appreciate 
this balance that's needed. Um, TJ, what, what do you hear there? There's, there's so much about how to, like, we, we have to, as, as people who are friends with leaders of, uh, followers of anything, we, when we know threes, we know that we have to give them some sort of acknowledgement. We have to give them the gold stars from time to time. And I love this uh, sort of like shifting the, the, the place where we put those gold stars instead of saying, Hey, you did all of these things really well. Yeah, we can do that. But also we should encourage the things that we know are a struggle for them. And, and it, it almost feels like manipulation to, to like, praise the thing that we want them to do more, you know, like, like, yes, build relationships. This is so great. Do that. And, uh, like that helping to, uh, not just encourage, but also build up this, I, this, this level of importance that they lend to relationships as part of the work that people are doing. I think that's, that's so good and important and insightful. I love that. Yeah, to throw this to you, John, the thing that really stands out to me there is that threes want to win, but they want to win in relationships first. And that, that's what stood out to me there. And I love the idea that you need to note how much they are investing into relationships and, and to elevate that as a, uh, you know, as a, as a strength. Yeah, um, we, we want to win, but we want to be seen for our winning. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's enough to win if we're not affirmed for it. it right. and, and that affirmation comes from people we care about. I mean, you know, if I, if I win and strangers praise me, that's fine, but I want the people I love to praise me. I want them mm-hmm. to see me. And of course I've confused things if I think I only get their praise for those accomplishments, but that's, that's the the trap or, or the, the wake up calls to, is to see how is that happening? How, how am I trying to win for the sake of affirmation rather than just trusting my affirmation. But when I'm working with other threes, it's one thing to say that about myself, but when I'm working for other threes to, to see that kind of balanced approach to praise, I, I can mm-hmm. praise you for your critical thinking. Threes are great thinkers because they, mm-hmm. they think quick in order to act. Yeah. So I can, I can praise them for their actions, but also for the thinking that goes into those, the, str- the strategy. But oftentimes there is something relational at work there because they're often doing these things for the sake of approval from people. So what is it that they're doing that's person-centered that you can praise? That that genuine relationship connection often has a feeling orientation. And so much of what I say in, in all of this is the need for balance in these things. So you're looking for the thinking, the doing, and the feeling. Mm-hmm. You can't just tell a three, go feel, way to feel, keep on feeling. I think you have to tie the feeling to something they're doing or thinking. John, what goes off in your heart when you experience feedback from your loved ones about how you're winning in relationships? I don't think I've put that together, mm. but that's that is what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, it's not just it's not just that you're winning the relationship; it's that the people you care about see that and tell you and communicate to you that you're winning the relationship. What goes on in, inside of you in those moments? Oh man, that's a feeling question you're asking me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can do what I think about it. Um, I mean, it, it feels good. It's important to me. It, 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 it helps me. It invites me to slow down to hear that. It invites me to, to take a deeper connection. So the, the feeling is a sense of peace or hope or trust in the relationship if the people that I care about are, are seeing something of value in, in what I'm doing for our, for our relationships. So whether it's family or colleagues, I think it does invite me to stay in that feeling space when that happens. Yeah, that's not about the relationship you just won. The trust is actually built with the person who acknowledges and is able to see that you're doing the work, the relational work with these other people. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to th- think of an, uh, an example f- from our from our work here. There's several kind of aspirations Baylor has for for us in our work. And I have a really close, trusted team of, of colleagues, of associate deans and program directors. So and we have a new online program that's kind of going going strong. And, and so when people say, you know, great work supporting your team and building this online program, 
it's not just praise for the fact that we have a strong online program. It's good job for the team that's leading it. So that is kind of the relation, you know, the, the relationships are a win there too, not mm, just yep. the program. So to, so to celebrate the relationships as much as the product yeah. is an opportunity for me, but I think it's an opportunity I can celebrate in other threes. I'm curious uh, if you have any thoughts, wisdom, warnings about the potential pitfall of performative feelings in this kind of area. So if if I am leading a three and I I do this thing that we're talking about, I encourage the the relationship winning that I see going on. Is is there is there a real danger to? Uh, that I am essentially creating someone who's going to get really good at looking like they're doing relationships well. Absolutely. And, and sometimes, I mean, I've done this work 12, 15 years, and sometimes mm. I still don't know the difference. Sure. You know, it's this, this is so tucked away in an egoic need that is subconscious that when I, you know, when is this truly how I feel or what? what I think I feel because it, it matters for something else. I'm also trying to accomplish in this, in this moment. Right. It's tricky, tricky space. Yeah. And I can I say, no, it's the relationship that matters, but the relationship at work is also tied to what we're doing. So it's hard to, you know, sometimes we get feeling and thinking confused for mm -hmm. certain types. Yeah. But I think three sometimes get our feeling and doing confused. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh... I think this is a really important thing for everyone to know, both both for those of us who are not threes to know about threes, especially the ones that we're close to, and for threes to know about themselves is that threes can become very good at performing their feelings, being being repressed in that that dimension. You call them dimensions in your book instead of centers. I like that. Um, but the being really good at making it look like they're good at their feelings, that is a high possibility for threes. And sometimes they don't even know that they're doing it. And I think it's a risk at the beginning of Enneagram work. Mm. So I think when, when threes are just learning the Enneagram and we're learning that we're feeling repressed and that we need to pay attention to our feelings, we almost automatically do it from that performative perspective. Sure. And then the more we try to self-observe it, there's a real tendency to perform it. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be good at feelings. Watch this. Yeah. So, Watch me know, win we, at this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. Enneagram work sometimes reinforces it negatively, mm -hmm. at least in those first couple of steps. Right. And I think it takes some either deeper wounding or recognize some woundings or some or being honest about some mistakes. Uh, we we make in some places where we failed, as Richard Roy invites us to pay attention to that that the feelings maybe become more genuine, and we're able to share them from a more genuine space. Mm -hmm. Because y'all have said before, you know, threes also reframe fast, and yeah, and, and so to turn something into a, a positive feeling is, is not what we need to be doing. To circle back to the leadership question i've never thought about this and as, as may you know my, my wife has a three i have never thought about the three engaging someone else and my assumption is the three desires the someone else to 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 reciprocate attention to to tell them what you did for me was amazing outstanding i'm so thankful i've never thought about the target for the three being actually someone else seeing the relationship. So say it's the case that the, the three engages um, a person at their work, but what they really long for is for, let's say, the leader or the boss to see them engaging the person at their work. And really that's where the desired feedback is, is coming from, is from the boss who's watching, look at this interaction. My, in my mind, I'm always thinking, well, it's just about the interaction. Did that person give you what they needed? And so I suppose to, on the leadership question, if, I, if, if I'm leading a three, knowing that the three desires me to see how they're engaging other people really needs to be central for me as a leader in their lives, to value that, to elevate that, to speak to that. Um, to affirm that way, it needs to be affirmed. That that strikes me as really helpful. 
Yeah, I, I, I have to be really careful when I'm around other university administrators mm-hmm. that I'm not engaging my colleagues for the sake of impressing right. the president or the provost or a vice provost or a member of our board or something like that. You know, it, it make it really about our shared work, our shared relationship, and not about trying to win something. That's it's real interesting to me. I'm entirely the opposite. I never think about people who are watching whatever interaction I'm doing, which is actually a default because I can really screw some stuff up. Uh, <laughs> I need that to rub off on me. Uh, last word on threes, TJ. Uh, y- you put a big emphasis throughout uh, everything that I read on it. It seems like there's at least an undercurrent of of the focus on th- the group with threes. And I, I just thought that was a really interesting perspective. I, I think so much teaching about threes is about the success of the three. And, and you seem to be really in tune with the recognition that even in organizations and, and developing relationships and all that stuff, like not interacting with colleagues in order to impress the provost, part of the success there is, is not about you that you need to recognize that that the win there is not for you. The win is for the group. You need to be part of that team. And I just, I, I really appreciate that from the three perspective. Well, I think it can bring about our, our best self, our best mm-hmm. leadership desire when we, when we are that way. Yeah. But I think because we want to be affirmed, we assume other people want what we want. So I assume right. other people want that affirmation. So I do try to extend that to, to others. Yeah. Feels like that ends up being, that can be forced, I suppose, at some level, but the, sure. the move to six there for the three, I imagine when you're in your sweet spot, that's what you're feeling. Yeah. You're feeling the, the team oriented. Yeah. That trust and connection, mm-hmm. that loyalty does shine through, I think, in what I long for for our team. Yeah. It's a good word. Uh, sevens. Uh, John, you write, when working with sevens in leadership, it's important to listen to how they communicate. The entertaining stories of adventure do include aspects of what they're feeling. Tune into these things. If you force them to connect at a feeling level or if you force them to be serious about things that make them feel trapped, they'll work harder at finding escape than at doing what you need from them. In connecting to their energy and enthusiasm, try to find small ways where their feelings show up and honor those moments of balance. What do you hear there, TJ? I, I love that there's this, it's almost like a cheat code to start understanding how sevens are really feeling. Like it, like if, if you as a leader are paying attention to what the sevens are, are communicating, not just the words that they're saying, you can actually get a a much deeper insight into what's going on that they're intentionally not either not paying attention to or not trying to let out because they're trying to avoid any kind of negative stuff and being able to, to just like tune in in that way without, without saying, Hey, you're having a bad day, but you can recognize it and sort of adjust to it while it's happening. Like there's this great way to sort of like, almost like tricking the seven into dealing with their feelings without saying, Hey, you have to deal with these feelings. If you do it well and you're paying attention. I love that. It's also what I hear there's, I think threes are much harder to read on this front. I think sevens will show their hand a little bit in terms of like positive spinning, the really, you know, something that can be real negative. I can think of a handful of very insecure sevens who spin their insecurity in a very humorous way. But it's, if you, if you just pull the humor away, you can, you can see what's going on perhaps uh, in their minds and hearts. Uh, where, Where are your thoughts there, John? I think as they're trying to avoid that pain, I, th- I think you do, I think you can pick up on their frustration, their disappointment. Mm-hmm. So while they're reframing, you can see what it is they're reframing and, and what hurt is there, what pain is there. What If you're attuned to it, you can see the feelings that are associated with that. Just the disappointment is a feeling, just the frustration is a feeling. So invite them to sit with that, to reflect on that. I sense the frustration. I think it's great that you're trying to think about this, but I also hear this. 
Mm-hmm. And they might not stay there with you long, but at least inviting them to see it for a moment, even if they move on, they've at least been invited to see the feeling. Right. It feels like a counseling move on one end. On a, on a leadership move, if, not, if a seven's part of your team, is that is that uh, what's going on in the heart of a seven when you're meeting them in those spaces as a leader? I don't know if it's because I'm a social worker that I see that connection between what is therapeutic and what is leadership oriented. I mean, sure. you know, a lot of our leadership is so person centered. So it's, it's hard for me to, to really think about uh, the, the difference there. But as, as sevens lead is they have responsible for big decisions and things don't go right. Uh, or, or they're not able to either have the, the freedom they want in their work or when they have the freedom and things don't go right. That's, that's when sometimes you can see these, these things that they're wrestling with and invite them to, to, to slow down, invite them to, to notice, to tune in to, to some of those pieces. And, and again, a part of what I, I talk about is the, the balance between the, the centers here. So connecting to their energy and their enthusiasm is what's obvious or their, their frustration when, when it, when they don't, when things don't go their way and asking, you know, how, they might talk about how they're, you know, they're thinking out loud. They're they're thinking through what, what they're doing. So it's that thinking and doing piece. So noticing that and seeing where the feelings show up and how they're talking about what they're doing or what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. So looking for the ways that the, the three centers are working together. So not just focusing on their thinking and their doing, but where in that is there something that's a feeling opportunity that you can you can tap into. Yeah, I was trying to pull apart things that you set up as things you shouldn't pull apart. The 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 in order to lead, you should engage the sense of self, and and so I didn't mean to make one therapeutic on that side, but I think that's spot on in terms of where I've seen sevens really thrive, both as leaders themselves or in a team when when sevens can engage the rich, you know, kaleidoscopic side of their emotional life human beings who are just fully alive just pour forth from from sevens in those space and that's a great good for the rest of us and if you can elicit that as you were saying i think that that can be a huge value and i i I think about uh i'm thinking in particular about one seven employee that i had once upon a time that um there was uh, a need to engage the harder stuff at least for a moment and then also offer a pathway out. Uh, so, so like there was, there was often times when like, like frustration based on other things happening, uh, outside of work or, or difficult customers or whatever. And it's like, let's, let's talk about this for a moment. I, I recognize this thing was hard and let's talk about it for a moment. And also let me tell you something to do that's completely different. So you can sort of not escape it, but, but here's, we're going to stay in this for just a second, but then we will move, I promise. And, and you can move on from this space. Like there's, there's this almost recognition that, that we have to be here, but, but let me give you another thing to do outside of this. And like that, there's, there's a, as a leader, there's a need to, to not just invite the, the, the hard work, but also recognize the balance that's needed there, that the hard work has to happen. And then we have to also embrace the other centers. Last word on sevens. An example from a, a, a friend in an organization down, down the street, trying to, to get her to, to see how feelings matter. And, 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 and she picked up on the, the example we often use of, of in teaching of sevens enjoying planning the next vacation and what she said was, I enjoy vacations with my husband. And instead of asking her about the vacations, I asked her about her husband. And, mm. and so, you know, that was an, an invitation to, to talk about that, the intimacy, the relationship. Yeah. Um, so it's just about what you focus on. Mm-hmm. If you know the three, if you know the dimensions, they all show up in conversations. And I could have talked about what she was thinking about, she want, what she wanted to do. But instead, I use that as a way to say, well, let's talk about how you feel about the person that you want to do these things with that you're thinking about. Mm. 
It's a good word. I I suppose on the target, just I highlight it both for three sevens and as we get to eights, the balance ends up being a great word for assertive types, for aggressive types, because especially emotionally. Uh, TJ and I actually just recently in our stance uh, uh, series ended up highlighting that as a real virtue that assertive types really can benefit from is moderation. And this is true across the board, as has been said, you know, we are heart, mind, and body. And the more that we can balance all those things in our, in ourselves, that's, that's a great good. And perhaps, you know, what, that's a, that's a goal for a leader that would transcend any of the types is what does it look like for your people to be engaging all those things into balance? Moves us to the eights. Uh, John, you wrote, if you lead with or supervise an eight, you likely already know better than to try to control how they approach their work. But do they feel controlled? Do they feel trusted? Do they feel they can trust you? It's important to be honest with eights. So tell the truth about what they need to know about their work. Talk about how your work together affects you. When there is conflict, be clear and concise and don't expect a response. Say what you need and then get back to work. Do not expect an eight to process their work relationship with you. Even if they do not show it, know that your care matters and so does your commitment to trust in the work you're doing together. What you hear there, TJ? Yeah, the, uh, do they feel controlled? Do they feel trusted? Do they feel they can trust you? That was something that really like brought up a lot of different things I've experienced working with eights. Is like it it's not the the control element is is so much of what we talk about with eights, but the trust issue I think is so so fundamental with them and if they can't rely on you to do your part of the job then you might as well skip it like it like just move on because that 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 is so necessary because if they can't trust that you're going to do the work that you're supposed to do then they know automatically where they stand with you and they know everything they need to know about the relationship and so developing this trust is so much about the work that they're doing, but also your side of it and, and making sure that they know that you were a reliable worker and, and you aren't going to drag them down into the mire of feelings. And, and when you do have conversations about that, you're going to then get back to the work. Yeah, that's also what I hear there, the the building of trust and commitment being huge. I, I, f- I find at least in the, the life of uh, my child and, and people that I work with, seeking to match or even uh, go beyond their intensity in relationship, like really bringing a lot of energy to them in the places where they have a lot of energy is one of those, is one of those places uh, being able to elevate I suppose is uh, they they know they can feel me uh, in those spaces and know whether or not you know eights have a, a wonderful radar for folks who are disingenuous or who are lying to them and if I can meet them with intensity and with a mixture of honesty that seems to me to be of huge value. Uh, what are your thoughts, John? Yeah, as long as it's not fake intensity. Right, right. We have a couple of, of relationships. That, that come to mind where either withdrawing type or a reactive, as you say, or dependent type will, will say, oh, but I'm going to be strong for you or I'm going to do this for you. And it's like trying to convince the eight that they're doing mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. and that doesn't work. Then the eight mm-hmm. is like, I don't know if I trust that. And so right. not only are you not bringing the intensity naturally, but you're setting yourself up for something that doesn't feel trustworthy. So it's we can't pretend to to meet an eight where they are. We have to find it within ourselves to truly do that. Yeah. So eights inspire confidence in us if we can allow ourselves to to live into it. Uh, but I think those things also also work together. They absolutely want to know uh, that that we care about the work as much as they do. That they're we're as committed to it. So that intensity does matter, uh, but it has to be genuine, and they have to trust that what we're bringing to the work is as important as what they are bringing because they're bringing everything. They're all. And we have to show up with it. Like yeah. it, it's not like we can't just tell them oh, that right. we're committed. We, right. they, they have to know it by seeing us do it. Yeah. That intuitional side of them. 
Yes. They they know already if you're lying. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. There's what an investment in eights is your action in producing. Yeah. They will intuitively understand when things are gen, are, are getting done. Mm-hmm. Oh, they definitely know when, when things are, are getting done. And, and, and I think that's that, again, the trust and action kind of go hand in, in hand there. Mm-hmm. If you say you're doing things, but they don't see it, they're not going to trust you. So it's not just a matter of communicating something that's important to them, but it is living it in a way. And, and we don't all have the intensity of eights. We don't all have the energy of eights. So it's not a matter of having to be something we're not. But I think when we talk about the work that we've trusted them to do, empower them to do, that we at least talk about our shared work mm-hmm. from a place where we show that we have invested in them and in their work. John, you're you're married to an eight, have some eight <laughs> children. I, there is a there's a there's a sweet spot uh, in. It seems to me that it can be a massive investment to to put oneself in a position to be protective of the eight. Hmm. And yet it seems to me a lot of eights want to be strong enough to where they're protecting themselves. And it seems like there's, there's, there's something there where I've seen, at least I've seen this in eights where it's a massive investment to exert my own strength on their behalf to be something of kind of a shield or a, a reservoir of, you know, of, of, um, of strength as it were for their sake. But at the same time, an eight, I assume, naturally longs to be strong on their own. I don't know if I'm getting that right, but that that's just an intuition I have. Yeah, they 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 want to be strong on their own, but they don't want to be expected to have to be the strong one in every situation. Mm-hmm. So they do want us to bring strength and to they don't want to have to be self-protective all the time. So they do want us to protect them. I think that's why my wife and I did. I think our relationship started off so well because she did see that in me, that that trust that I could be a, a protector for her, even though she was strong enough. You know, it was always kind of a back and forth of, I don't need you, but it's nice that if I were to need you, you're, you're there. And, you know, and she was kind of testing me, you know, is my intuition right? Do, do I, can I really trust you? Yes, you can trust me. Um, and I think she knew she could, but she did want me to kind of, still sometimes <laughs> to make sure I'm acknowledging how important trustworthiness is and that she doesn't always have to be the one with all of the strength. Mm-hmm. And it's a little easier for me as a three, maybe to do that. Cause I have a lot of energy too. Uh, a relationship I really admire is our, our best friend is a, a two a, a family. We're really close with uh, and the mom is a two and her daughter is an eight, same age as our eight, eight daughter. And that eight daughter doesn't always expect her mom to protect her in the, in, in the same way. But when the mom does, the eight daughter just rests in mm-hmm. that. And it's, they have a great relationship because of that. Almost like trying to figure out ways to communicate. I got your back. I'm not yeah. going to carry you, but I got your back. Right. Right. Yeah. I love that. This idea that because eights will have a felt sense of where they're vulnerable. Sure. Want to be strong, but perhaps don't want to be strong everywhere. Is it worth asking the question of, of the eights in our lives? Where do you need me to be strong for you? That seems like a very exposing kind of question. I don't know how that would get framed otherwise, but that's what comes to mind. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think it, it does matter. I think we have to trust the eights, you know, are they going to be in a place where they can answer that? Mm -hmm. And, And they might, you know, they, they might not be able to answer. They might say, I don't need anything from you. And that's a sign of your relationship. Um, but if they hear the question, receive it well, trust you and how you're asking it enough to meet you there at that feeling place, then that's a beautiful sign of how you are leading them or co-leading with them, I, I, I believe. So that, that brings up something we haven't mentioned about eights, that eights often have a very small circle of trust. Yeah. And being a leader for an eight likely will require you to do the work to to be trusted before any leadership can actually really take take place at a high level. Yeah, one yeah. of the dates the, of my leadership team, I think it only works for us because she could see from the outside before she joined us that I was trustworthy. She might not have come to join us otherwise. Yeah. 
Well, and even then, I would guess that that it still took time for her to uh, to sort of rest in that trust. Yeah. Like like day one, if you had asked her that question, like, what do you need? Wh- where where do you need me to protect you? She'd have been like, no, absolutely not. Right. But day three sixty two, maybe maybe that conversation can actually happen. Yeah. No, I think that's true. We're going to pause here in our conversation with John. We had so much to talk about with his book, so we'll continue with Withdrawn and Dependent Stances on the next episode. Well, friends, it would mean the world to us if you share this episode with somebody you love, preferably somebody who's into leadership, uh, who has a job overseeing folks or a parent or an educator. These are all great tools for those sorts of folks. Uh, As we see every time, we are meeting once a month uh, through 2003 on Zoom. We would love, love, love to have you. We've been talking about relationships. You can go to aroundthecircle.org and click on events to find out where we're doing that. And as we say every time also, uh, TJ and I just launched two new podcast feeds. One is for beginners called Start Here for people who are looking for their type. And one is called Movie Typing for those who uh, aren't so into the theoretical but like seeing the types discussed through film and pop culture. And so uh, both those are out there, well worth finding. And uh, if you really want to show us love, uh, what would they do, TJ? Uh, Something about stars? It's all stars. We long, I long for for stars, and I boast about it to TJ, who goes, that's great. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) He's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. You got anything else, TJ? I got nothing, man. I'm Jeff Cook. And who you aren't isn't interesting.